this is not a worship service to where we worry about whether or not everybody's in their seat by the time we get ready to go. So the altar is always open. Uh, so any time during the service that you see fit is an open time for you to come before the Lord and to humble yourself and to uh, cast your cares upon Him. But if you would, grab your, grab your Bible, I'm sorry, and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 9. I know we stand up a lot, but <laughs> I tell you, I appreciate you standing and giving reverence to God. I appreciate you standing to your feet to give Him praise. And I understand that not everyone is able to stand, so don't think that if you sit down that anyone looks on you in any way, bad way whatsoever. Um, you pay honor to God in the best way that you can, and I promise you He will be pleased with it. Colossians chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 9. If you're there, say Amen. If you ain't there, say, hold on. Here we go. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. You may be seated. Kirby Carpenter, would you take us Lord in prayer, please? Amen. This morning I'm going to talk to you about knowledge. I'm going to talk to you about wisdom. And I'm going to talk to you about understanding. And it's just a coincidence. My good friend Mr. Sutton back here showed up this morning. He was, uh, he was my teacher in high school. And, and Lord help me, I can't even remember what class it was. 
that ain't good, Mr. So was it ISS? <laughs> but I remember he used to, Mr. Sutton used to tell me, he said, Wells, you're working on that five-year plan, ain't you? <laughs> yes, sir. I'd come in there and I'd try to go to my seat in the back of the room. And he'd pull me a seat right up there next to his desk. He said, Wells, I got one special for you right here. I'd come up there and sit down next to him and, um, and try not to keep the class's attention more than he did. But I was, uh, I was pretty good at that. But Mr. Sutton used to tell me something whenever we was uh, reading and studying. He would look at me and say, Wells, you got to open that book up. It ain't just going to jump out and say, here I am. <laughs> and you know, I found out later on he was right. It don't just jump out there and say, here I am. You got to get in there and you got to dig a little bit. I'm going to talk to you this morning about knowledge, but I'm going to concentrate more on wisdom and understanding. I heard, a, um, I heard a story told about King Solomon. This one's not in the Bible, so you may not know this. But King Solomon had prayed for wisdom. God told him that he would give him anything he could ask for. And he said, I want wisdom. That's what I want. I want an understanding heart. I want to be able to judge discerning between right and wrong. And I want to be able to do it rightly and justly. And God was so pleased with this that he gave him wisdom. He said, Solomon, you could have asked anything for yourself. You could have asked riches. You could have asked friends. You could have asked the, the king. You could have asked anything you wanted, but you asked for wisdom. And he gladly gave Solomon wisdom. And the Bible said that Solomon had wisdom like no other man had, nor like any other man would have. He said that Solomon was the wisest of all kings that there had ever been. And these two women came up to Solomon and they drugged this one lawyer that lived in the town with them. And he was the richest lawyer in this town. And these two women dragged him up in front of King Solomon and they said, This man has promised to be married to my daughter. And the other woman stood by and she grabbed him on the other side. And she said, No, this man has promised to be married to my daughter. And she, they looked at King Solomon and they said, we want you to decide who it is that is going to get him. So King Solomon, in his wisdom, he says, okay, bring me a sword. Bring me my biggest sword. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut him in half right down the middle. And one woman stood up and she said, okay, let's do that. Cut him in half. You take half of him and I'll take the other half. And the other woman stood back and said, oh, no, sir, king, let her have him. Don't cut him in half. Why should innocent blood be shed? The king looked back at the first woman who had said cut him in half, and she said, that is the one you give him to. And the man with the sword stood up and he said, wait a minute. Why would you give him to the one that was going to cut him in half? He said, because she is the one that has proved that she will be a true mother-in-law. That ain't like my mother. I got a good mother-in-law all right now. I didn't tell that. I'm just saying. He, he showed true wisdom in that. But I thought about the knowledge that God has given us. This was a prayer that Paul had prayed in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. If you'll look at it again, he said, For this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So this is a prayer, correct? He says, and here's what we ask. We ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. So the first thing Paul asked for is this. He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now Paul was not saying that they did not have a knowledge of His will. But he said, my prayer for you is that you would be filled with it. 
You know, when it, whenever you're in school and your teachers are teaching you, it's not their desire that you just learn just a piece of it. Well, for me it was. They just wanted me to learn even just a piece of it. But their desire for you is to learn the material. Their desire for you is to pick it up so that you can utilize it in your future. Well, Paul said this. He said, I know that you have a knowledge of His will, but my prayer for you is that you would be filled up with that knowledge, that it would fill you and that it would complete you. Now, I know that there are so many answers to the question, what is the will of God for your life? But if you had to sum it up this morning, you've heard this many times, so I expect somebody to give me an answer. If you had to sum it up this morning, what is the will of God for your life? Obedience, to show God's glory, what did you say? To be Christ-like. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 8 that he predestined you. That means that before you were ever born, he already determined your destiny, correct? He said he has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his Son. Who is his Son? Jesus Christ. So the will of God for your life is that you be like the Son of God. Is that you line your life up in every way to the way that Jesus Christ Himself lived. Paul said, I want you to be filled with this knowledge. I want you to have all the knowledge that you need to have in order to line every aspect of your life up with Jesus Christ. Now how many of you have made it? You're there. You lined up with him. Your life looks just like Jesus. I ain't got no takers on that. No, I ain't either. But Paul said, my prayer is that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. But then he adds two things to this. He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. He says, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I got to have two tools behind this knowledge. You know, knowledge in itself is really useless, just to be honest with you. Just because I know to do something, does that mean that I will do it? Just because I may know how to add 2 plus 2, does that mean that I will do it? No. I have to be able to apply my knowledge in a wise manner, and there has to be an understanding of why I need to add 2 plus 2. So he said, knowledge in itself is really no good unless you have wisdom and spiritual understanding to apply with it. But here's why. In verse 10, he says, here's the reason why I want you to be filled with this knowledge in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. How many of you want to walk worthy of the Lord? How many of you would love for the Lord to look down and be fully pleased with what he sees in your life? Not just, yeah, I'm tickled that, 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 that Chad didn't mess up today. Chad, did, he, he lived a pretty good day today. Tomorrow, I don't know what he's going to do. But today, he did all right. No, I want the Lord to look down at my life and say, I am pleased in every aspect of his life. I am fully pleased with him. He is walking worthy of me. And not only that, but he is being fruitful in every good work. He is increasing in my knowledge day by day and He is becoming more and more and more to that destiny that I have prepared for Him, being like my Son, Jesus Christ. So if knowledge of His will, wisdom, 
and spiritual understanding are the three things that must take place in your life in order to be fully pleasing to God, then I would advise you this morning to pay very close attention. I would advise you this morning to take very good notes because I'm fixing to give you two tools that you can walk in your life and you can be very pleasing unto God. Not just very pleasing, fully pleasing unto Him. I want to look at what knowledge, wisdom, and spiritual understanding is. The first thing, I'm just going to give you some definitions, so think about this for a minute. Knowledge, this is what it is. Knowledge is the state of knowing. It is a learning, an awareness of facts, truths. It is an awareness of principles. Knowledge is the sum of what has been learned or discovered. Knowledge does not mean that you know everything. Knowledge is the sum of everything that you do know. So basically, your knowledge of His will is not that you know every way that you need to perform in order to be just like Christ. Knowledge of His will is the sum of what He has shown you in your life already. How many of you have received some knowledge of something you can do different in your life to be like Jesus Christ? You don't have everything. But you have knowledge of His will. He says wisdom, and this is the definition for it, wisdom is the ability to make good use of your knowledge. That's wisdom. That means you have some knowledge, but just because you have knowledge don't mean that you're going to make good use of it. Wisdom is the ability to make good use of your knowledge. It is a willingness to take the knowledge that God gives you and apply it to your life in a way that is pleasing to Him. Wisdom will make the right choice for you according to your knowledge. See, foolishness is having knowledge and still choosing not to act in it properly. That's foolish. That's stupid. That's dumb. But how many of you are stupid in here this morning? I'm right there with you. Uh, we, are, we are foolish people, but God says to come out from that and start making wise decisions. So wisdom is the ability to make good use of your knowledge. Now spiritual understanding. What is understanding? Understanding means to perceive or comprehend the nature or the significance of something. You comprehend the nature of the choice. You comprehend the significance of the choice that you are making. It is basically to comprehend why God is pleased with a particular choice. For instance, we as Christian people, if you've been in church very long, you have a knowledge from the Word of God that premarital sex is wrong, correct? A knowledge. And you could be wise enough to make the decision not to do it, correct? But does that mean that you necessarily have an understanding as to why God would not have you do it? So all three things need to apply. Now, granted, you need to make a wise choice to follow God whether you understand it or not. But Paul said, I don't just pray that you be filled with the knowledge. I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of how to please Him, how to live like Christ, and I pray that you will have the wisdom to make the choices that you need to apply that knowledge in a way that's pleasing to Him, and then I pray that you'll have the spiritual understanding that you can comprehend the significance of the reason that you are making the choice that you are making. Does that make sense? 
Am I teaching anything this morning? Well, I want to look just a little bit closer at these things. You know, I had another example here. For instance, we know that drunkenness is wrong. According to the Word of God, drunkenness is wrong, correct? We are wise enough, most of us, to choose not to be drunk, correct? But does that mean that we really understand why we choose to do it? How many of you can see where an understanding of it would help you make that decision more often than not? You see that? The next thing I want to look at, Hebrews chapter 12. You ain't got to turn there. Tim, if you can look it up for me. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I want to read this for you real quick. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Notice we've got to lay something aside, right? He says, let us lay aside every weight and let us lay aside the sin which so what? But not just ensnares, it easily ensnares us. He said that there is a sin in most people's lives. There's either a weight that you carry that you refuse to give to God, and that probably there is also a sin of some kind in your life that so easily takes you away from where He means for you to be. He says, it's time to lay it aside. You have up to this point had knowledge that this does not belong in your life. You look at your life right now, examine your life, and you see, can you find one thing in your life that you live on a daily basis that you can see that is not like Christ? It's in your life, but you can say, this was not in Christ's life. I know this. I know that this is not something God wants in my life, and it so easily ensnares me, but I still choose to do it. Do you see that? He said it's time. It's time for you to apply the knowledge. The reason why we are so easily ensnared by our, our, our pleasurous sin is because we do not apply the knowledge that God has given us with wisdom. We make a foolish choice. We choose to walk in the path that we know God is not pleased with. He said it's time for you to be wise, to make this decision to follow. He said it's time for you to have understanding why this thing is not pleasing to God. Why this thing does not belong in your life. He's trying to get you to a place of destiny in the image of His glory. Does that, whatever it is in your life, does that look like glory to you? No. I I ain't going to start naming off things. I'd have to name off a few of mine. And if y'all don't point your finger at me, I won't point my finger at you. But... The point I'm trying to make is this. We are so easily ensnared because we don't apply wisdom. We don't apply understanding to the knowledge that he's giving us. I want to look at um, just a few things that Job has to say about these two tools. Look at Job 28, verse 12. I want you to turn there if you would. I'm going to go through this pretty quick because I can get my point across without having to spend a whole lot of time on this. Job 28, verse 12. Job asked a question. Oh, I love this book now. 
<laughs> this book of Job, if y'all ain't read it, you need to read it. It's a good book. Job 28, verse 12, the whole book. Listen to what he says. Job says, But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Y'all hear that question? Job, he was a wise man, correct? He chose to follow the Lord. He shunned evil. But Job asked the question. He said, where can wisdom be found if these two tools are so important for me to walk worthy of God and fully please Him? Where can I find it? I wonder if that crossed any of y'all's mind this morning since I've started talking. Where can I get this wisdom? Where can I find this understanding? He goes on in verse 13. I'm just going to read all the way down to the end. He says, man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it's not in me. I don't care how deep you dig. I don't care how far to the bottom of the ocean you go. It'll tell you the same thing every time. Wisdom is not here. This ain't where you're going to find it. You can search the world over, but you will not find it here. Wisdom or understanding. Verse 15. It cannot be purchased for gold. Nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it. Nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. There is nothing that it can value to it. He says, the topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. So verse 20, he asks again, where then does wisdom come from? And where can I find this understanding? He says in verse 21, it is hidden from the eyes of all the living and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard a report about it with our ears, but we don't know where it's at. God understands its way, in verse 23, and He knows its place. God understands its way, and He knows the place of wisdom. For He looks to the ends of the earth, and He sees under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind and apportion the waters by measure. When He made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt, then He saw wisdom, and He declared it. He prepared it. Indeed, he searched it out. And to man, he said, this is what he says to you, here is your wisdom, here is your understanding. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil, that's understanding. He says here, the place of wisdom, the way to get to it, is you have to learn the fear of the Lord. Now, many people will teach you today, and they're not wrong, so let me go ahead and put that out there, but they will teach you today that the fear of the Lord is, is love, it's all, it's respect. Well, yeah, that is true, but don't get it twisted. Don't think for a minute that the fear of the Lord is not fear. I want to tell you right now, when I was a child, my father, if I, if I was, because when I was a kid, I used to have to sit beside of my father in church. When I was a kid, I, I had to sit there, I had to listen. If I went to sleep, I got an elbow. When I was a kid, I had to pay attention, and he was training me up to be what I needed to be in the service when I was a kid. And if I acted up in church, you know what happened? 
Most of the time, I didn't get took outside. Most of the time, I'd get my legs smacked right there on that pew. Right there. And you know what I learned? I learned that if I don't do what my father expects me to do, what's going to happen? I'm fixing to get my legs smacked. If I don't respond correctly to my leg getting smacked, you know what's next? We going outside. And I don't care how loud I scream. I don't care how much I beg for mercy. When we get outside, my father's fixing to let me know that if that leg smack didn't do it, I'm fixing to give you something that I promise you it will. And I learned very quickly as a child to fear my father. Did that mean that I disrespected him? Did that mean that I didn't love him? Did that mean that I didn't appreciate what he'd done for me? No. But it was a healthy fear. It was a fear that I understood. If I do not choose to do right, there will be consequences. As I began to grow and I become an adult, I grow up in my fear of my father and my fear begins to evolve into a love for his discipline. You ever growed up being disciplined by your parent correctly and, and, and you can eventually look back and say, I'm glad my father whooped my tail. I'm glad my mama spanked my butt. It eventually evolves into a fear that is a respectful fear. It evolves into a loving fear, into a fear of awe. But it does not begin that way. Don't get it twisted. The fear of the Lord is, in fact, just that fear. Matter of fact, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter something, Chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. He told them, he said, I want you to teach your children everything that I have showed you. I want you to remind them of all the great things I've done. I want you to teach them my commands day and night. But here's what I want you to do, teach them especially. Especially I want you to remind them of the day that they stood before me at Mount Horeb. The day that I sounded my voice off like trumpets. The day that I shattered rocks into pieces. The day that when I showed myself to them, they stepped back and said, God, please, you don't talk to us anymore. Let Moses, you talk to Moses and, and Moses will talk to us, but we, we don't need you to talk to us anymore. You know why? God wanted them to remember how great he was. God wanted them to remember that he is a God that is a disciplinary figure. He will discipline those that need discipline. There ain't no way around it. He does not spare the rods. You know why? Because he does not spoil the child. He will give the rod exactly the way it needs to be given in order to line your life up correctly. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That fear of the Lord should guide you to make the right choice. But the problem is this. Most of us don't fear the Lord. We ain't really, you know what, God? Do whatever you want to do. I'm going to make this choice anyway. This is what I want. I'm in control of my life. Do whatever you want to do. I don't care. Oh, let them get a hold of them one time. You know what will happen? They'll change their tone real quick. Oh, there was a time I looked at my daddy one time. One time I said, whip me. I don't care. Woo, Lord, help me. I still got flashbacks from that day. He says here that the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil, that is understanding. When you begin 
to choose of your own accord to depart from evil. I mean, how many of you make a decision on a daily basis that you know that this is not what God is pleased with? And you say, I'm going to do it anyway. Every day. I'm going to do it anyway. I know he's not pleased. When you begin to truly have a fear of the consequences of God, then you will begin to have understanding of why he does not want you to do this. And when you have that understanding, you will begin to make a choice of your own accord to depart from evil. But until you begin making them choices, I want to let you know right now, the fear of God is not in you, and understanding is not there either. You may have knowledge of his will, but if you continue to allow this stuff to take place in your life, day after day after day after day, the fear of the Lord is not in you. And I'm telling you, one day when he gets a hold of you, if he has to put it there, he'll put it there. He'll teach you to fear his name. I got just a few more things I want to show you about um, wisdom and understanding. I'm going to go through these quick. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. This is what it reads. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call. This is wisdom and understanding. You see this? She says, I'm standing up on the highest place I can find and I'm screaming to you with everything that I've got I'm calling to you, and my voice is to the sons of men. And then in verse 5, here's what she cries. Oh, you simple ones, understand prudence. And you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. But look at verse 12. She says, I wisdom, I dwell with prudence. And I find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. She says... I'm standing and I'm crying to every one of you. I'm not restricting myself. I'm not hiding over here in a corner from you. This is something that actually is, contrary to what Mr. Sutton said, this is actually something that stands and says, Here I am. Come get me. I'm right here. I'm open to anyone. You can be wise and you can have understanding if you will just come get it. It's not restricted. It's open. 
The book of James chapter 1 verse 5, Tim, if you can find that for me. The book of James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, what do you think he needs to do? Ask God, and what will God do? He gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. He said, if you ask God from the genuineness of your heart for wisdom and understanding, He will put you in a path that leads to wisdom. It don't necessarily mean that you're going to be struck with an all-knowing mind. It means that He will send things your way that will teach you wisdom. He will teach you understanding. He will show you. It is not restricted. The next thing I want you to know real quickly come from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Proverbs chapter 2, he says, because it's your choice to either receive it or not, you can either choose wisdom and understanding or you can choose foolishness, whichever one you want. I, I have the same choice. I can choose to be wise and follow God or I can choose to be a fool and follow the world. That's, the, that's my two options right there. He says, but because it's your choice, you need to understand that there are some requirements. Proverbs 2 verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He says, listen, he, you got to ask him. You have not. Why? Because you ask not. He said, cry out to me for it. Lift up your voice for this. Ask me to give this to you and I will give it to you. But you can't just sit there and expect, expect it to just hit you in the face. you got to ask me for it. Next thing, Proverbs 1 verses 20. 20 through 27. The next thing, and I'm coming to a close. Wisdom is crying out to you, and I want you to understand this. Because it's your choice to either be wise or be foolish, there are some consequences to refusing wisdom. Proverbs 1, verse 20, this is what it reads. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words, and here's what she speaks. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? How long? How long are you going to keep letting this sin so easily ensnare you? How long? And then she says, For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I have called. But look at verse 24. Because I have called and you refused. Because I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. Listen, here's the consequences. Wisdom says, I also will laugh at your calamity. When your time of trouble comes, when it hits, you're going to pay for your choices. God will not spare the rod and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to laugh at your calamity. Not only that, I'm going to mock when your terror comes. 
Verse 27 says, When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then I'm going to sit back and I'm going to laugh because I cried and I cried and I cried. That old preacher stood from that pulpit and he begged and he begged and he begged and he pleaded. But now the time has come. My last point and I'm done. God is merciful. He's long-suffering. He'll cry and he'll cry and he'll cry and he'll plead and he'll plead and he'll plead. He is merciful, but there is a point where God will strive no longer. Proverbs 1, 28, just where I stopped at a minute ago. Look what he says next. Wisdom says, Then they will call on me, but what will happen? I will not answer. They will seek me diligently but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. And look at verse 31, and I'm done. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. Now I've got some good news this morning. The good news is this. If she's still crying and you still hear the voice, you still got time to turn and come in. That's the good news. The bad news is this. If you choose not to, if you choose not to apply wisdom and understanding to the knowledge that God gives you and turn your way to the path that leads to the Christ-like image that he's trying to lead you to, there is coming a time when he says, you will eat the fruit of your own way. Here it is. Eat it up and love every minute of it because it's all you're going to have. Y'all stand this morning. I ain't even going to try to go any further than that. Whatever the Lord spoke to you this morning, I welcome you to uh, humble yourself before God in this altar and you give him whatever it is that, um, that he has spoken to you about. I want you to examine yourself, though, honestly. And I want you to ask yourself the question, is there something in my life that I know I need to be refusing, but I continually choose to be so easily ensnared to this thing? And I want you to make a commitment today and this week to say, God, I'm going to focus on this thing in my life. I'm going to focus on it. I may stumble to it tomorrow, God, but I am going to focus on this thing and I'm going to start attacking it and whenever it hits me again, I'm going to put it back down. When it rises back up in my life, I'm going to put it back down. God, I'm going to fight this thing until we win. I ask you to make that commitment to him today. Don't let your foolishness keep you from the knowledge that God knows what you can be.